The Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. So I'm with Joe Steinhardt, Assistant Teaching Professor at Drexel University's Music Industry Program and owner and co-founder of Don Giovanni Records. And we're going to talk about all sorts of material culture from movies to music and surprisingly cultural theory. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Yeah, we should do this. All right. I feel like when we talk about material culture, people are like, I just like the way it feels. I like the way it touches and stuff. But I think you're thinking about it in like a bigger industrial and like global issue than what I've come across in the past. So I'm really excited to get down to it, but I wanted to start small and then move big. Do you remember the first album you bought? It's a shame that I don't remember the first <laughs> album I bought, but I remember the first like four or five albums that I had. That's acceptable. Um, I had the Crash Test Dummies, God Shuffled His Feet. That's a great album. I had Nirvana Nevermind, which I think was like very much, everyone had that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, at Handsome Middle of Nowhere. I mean, another one that everybody had to have. Everyone had it, yeah. Everybody had it. Even if you didn't want to admit it, you had it. But what's interesting is, I think the reason I had it was because it was actually, like, at the time, kind of marketed to me the same way that Nevermind was. I felt like I was buying into alternative culture. You know, I didn't feel like I was buying into so many desperate cultures but growing up in that era and being able to like go back and um think about it taught me so much about marketing and how much of a important force that is on culture and on music and um like the 90s was a fascinating era because it was um the peak of the cd era but it was also probably the peak marketing power that record like major record labels had to push things onto consumers There really was no discernible difference to an 11-year-old me. I love pop culture. I like underground culture more, probably. But I don't think one's necessarily better than the other. So, like, what kind of moves from... Being a part of it as a person who likes popular culture and music to like starting your own thing. I really never sat down and thoughtfully said like, I want to start a record label. You know, I want to own a business. As you can imagine, I kind of like reject business in a lot of ways and things like that. And so I still did have all these views about like alternative culture and things. And I really wanted to release my own music. Internet was certainly around, but no streaming, no iTunes music store. Mm-hmm. Certainly no band camp. And so music was still largely physical. This was still the CD era. This was 2002, 2003-ish. And I, it's funny because at the time I wasn't, I thought CDs were this commercial thing. And I wasn't very into CDs. I did have a lot, but I was just like, you know, whatever. I wanted, you know, wanted to put a record on vinyl. Um, and we kept doing that and I kept doing that. It was just like once we, the money came in, we would put out the next one. And then we just had a few really successful ones that brought in a lot of money and were able to put out more than one thing at once. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And here I am, still doing it.
actually exist at like a bunch of different interesting crossroads as the owner of Don Giovanni Records, a professor, a collector, like <laughs> as a collector, are there things that you specifically look for? Or is it just like, oh, I'm really interested in this album or this cover looks good? Is it like pointed and that you are on the search or the hunt for something? Or is it really like the joy of the chase? It's both. I love to browse, right? Like I spend a lot of time just browsing used and new record, you know, media, records, DVDs. If I can find places to look at VHS, I love to, CDs. But I generally find most of the stuff I find in stores are from people like me that also are selling and buying things. Like I feel like that's a big place that I do a lot of buying and selling is with other collectors. Mm. I'm a weirdo, as you can imagine, and there's other weirdos like me. And I've always been interested in like the fringes, I think, and outsider stuff and things produced outside of the mainstream, which again, I, I also love a lot of mainstream stuff, media and culture in general. I, I don't, so, so I think that's also why I like browsing. I think a lot of times when you're browsing, you will discover stuff that you didn't know existed. Do you have a piece that you think is like maybe the oddity of your collection? Like what is the weirdest piece you think you own? Let's see what we got here. Um, here's like, wait, oh, this is a really, this is really good and timely. This is Cops on Patrol. Wow. But traffic safety songs written and sung by California police officers. So this is an original wow. um, song. Um, music of the Creation Museum. It's pretty oh, good. a two disc. The reverse sounds of the American doomsday cults. So you have kind wow. of two... Um, this is good because it's, it's like a gospel record, but it doesn't look like one. It's very weird. Born to die and he's all like, smiling. Yeah. But I also, when I find like weird celebrity albums, I have like Steven Seagal made a, oh. um, so yeah, I, I have, and again, I have a lot of vinyl. Like this is a fascinatingly strange record. This Louie Louie, he was in, he was in Los Angeles and like the, um, he was, he was a restaurant owner and he made a record and he was trying to make, create this kit song called the Touchy, like creator of Touchy. <laughs> and so there's all these different Touchies on here. El Touchy, Tasty Touchy, Touch Me With All Your Heart, Tortilla Touchy, Sweet and Tender Touchy. Like he was trying to create this new sensation. And it's, it's incredible. Like it's really incredible. Hi, my name is Louis Louis. And I'm here to tell you about a new dance called the Touchy. It is a wonderful idea for people to get together and touch. You can dance now touching hand to hand, foot to foot, uh, shoulder to shoulder, nose to nose, ear to ear, or foot to nose, or what have you. I feel like that was a nice smorgasbord though, but I, and I think it also gets into this idea of like, people are constantly creating stuff, even if it's not necessarily for you. Somebody right. put in that time and effort to be like, you know what I think people need? More touchy-touchy. I think yeah. that that's what I need to bring into this universe. It's amazing. It's like that he did that. I think there's that, that sense, again, that outsider sense. Sometimes it's just awful stuff. <laughs> um, but other times it's like really interesting. And I, and I have really bad, like really, really bad or interesting movies. And I can see if I can, I see at least one that's, this is Gun Self-Defense for Ladies oh. and Men too, And it is, it's a 
It's insane. Get to know your weapon. And ladies, hey, treat it just like, you know, when you first meet somebody that you really like, you want to get to know them better. You want to, you want to get to know the person's favorite color, their favorite ice cream, you know, what they like to wear and all that. You're interested in get to know them. Treat your handgun the same way. It's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at PopQ Podcast, or you can get us directly at PopQ at Drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. class with like Adorno and Horkheimer and talking about that aspect of sameness in film, right? And like, we are offering these choices, but whenever there's like actual choice or actual resistance, then it no longer becomes like a fun thing for the industry. It becomes co-opted. I'm glad you brought up Adorno. I like a love-hate relationship. I think you have to, as like somebody who loves popular culture. Well, I think that is his, his fatal flaw is that he seemed to believe that there was like an objective difference in certain types of music or certain types of culture, rather. This is culture is objectively better than that. And that's, that's wrong. That's dead wrong. But then I think he was completely right about everything he was saying about power and influence and why certain cultures are pushed to where they are. And I think it's a mistake to say that just because something is being pushed on you or just because something has been created specifically to make sure you enjoy it, doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy it. It doesn't make it a worse piece of art, doesn't make it a worse anything. Yeah, I mean, I think considering the context, it makes sense as to why he would be so kind of embittered towards like the pleasure industry. And I think that's like a struggle that many people face, particularly like my students when they're being introduced to these kind of concepts and are like, wait, am I not allowed to like stuff? And you're like, no, you can like stuff, but it is about kind of being aware of these larger processes. I think what he's reacting to, and I think this is what's hard for students maybe when they think you can't enjoy it, understand is you do have to understand the influences of power dynamics on what you are enjoying, right? So currently, older media, with a few exceptions like Wizard of Oz or Star Wars or things that are pushed into us, older media generally is not being pushed onto me or marketed onto me. Um, just like opera and classical music was not being pushed onto, you know, Adorno. And so he was able to find it on his own and discover it. Um, and he felt like it was, there was some purity there. And I think people today, would they find silent film, you know, Chaplin, folks, especially Buster Keaton, Chaplin, if you're interested in comedy, or if you, if you find Fritz Lang, you know, or if you find some of these things, or even if you find movies, you know, from the... 40s. They're not being marketed to you. You're finding them. And so you have this sort of belief that they're more 
pure. Yeah, because I'm thinking about the power of feeling as if you've discovered something, like that you are the one person who has discovered this random movie, but you've discovered it on cable television. But how powerful that feeling of discovery is and maybe feeling less excited when you realize that it is because that you've plugged into this system and that kind of disheartens the experience. It can to some. And I think I think that's also a shame because, again, there's certain music films, um, TV shows that you quite literally could not produce without a billion dollar company behind you, <laughs> you know. So I think it's it's OK to marvel at those things. The nature of critique, I think, has also changed where it's become less about maybe evaluating something in context and more about just I like it or don't like it. And if I like it, then it has value. And if I don't like it, it does not. Right. And that's obviously wrong. <laughs> Can you go back in time and tell the dudes I was hanging out with uh, as well? Well, you know, I wish I was always this. I, I, could, I was probably that dude in high school, too. <laughs> you know, I, um, I wasn't born thinking about this. You know, I wish I was. It did take me a while to start appreciating the notion that there's not like objectively good and bad art and culture. Once I sort of let go of that fear, I enjoy consuming so much more stuff because I've been less afraid to change my taste. And I think it's okay and important, actually, if you like media, to not be afraid to, to change your opinion on things, you know? You shouldn't necessarily like the same things you liked when you were 16, when you are 36, and vice versa. But it's not really agency right in selection it's not really agency in our in our choices because those are still moderated for us or we're still being kind of pushed that sameness of content and not really being offered like the agency of going to a store and just randomly picking up something or like i'm gonna pick up this single of en vogue because i've heard don't let go over and over and over again and i want to continue listening to don't let go for the rest of my life Yeah, well, and what's, what's interesting is it was also complicated back then, and you were still being guided, um, you know, back back when you were when you when you thought you were browsing the stacks at our local store, um, looking for things. Those stacks were very carefully curated and positioned, and that's why you ended up at In Vogue, like you said, um, who were one of their bands, and they're a fantastic band. I have three of their CDs on my wall right here. But at the same time, you were guided to them over very similar things that were released on smaller labels at the time that you may have liked more, but you'll never, you'll never know. That was a really weird era. There was just so much power between how big retail was and radio and MTV and all these forces that the majors controlled. And they realized they could kind of just push out whatever they wanted. We might be heading to a new peak, which again, the way they become profitable is by being able to push whatever they want. So it shows that I think they, we are back in an era like that where they're getting too much control again. So if we're hitting a peak, does that signal a possible revolution for the better or the worse? The worse. When I say a peak, I mean a peak of the billions of dollars coming into the industry, right? So like they were able to do that in the 90s. They're able to do that now. And then that valley in between when they were saying the industry is really struggling, the industry is on life support. What that actually meant was that for the first time, consumers were having some kind of agency in what they were purchasing. Um, they were finding stuff on file sharing services and BitTorrent, and they were communicating with each other on message boards. And they were, so they were using the internet in ways outside of the control channels of the labels. And so it was a really successful 
time for music. People were listening to more music than they ever had been in history in that era. But what they weren't doing was buying whatever the major labels wanted them to. Those labels weren't nearly as effective at marketing them. And so the biggest change, I think, has been how um, corporate a lot of independent spaces have become. At some point in the early 2000s, mainstream culture started coming in to the independent space and creating this sort of what's called now indie music. Um, and then what happened as a result of that was it meant that the underground, rather than being like an alternative space, became more of like a proving ground for artists to get their start in. And then that brought all this power and money into that space. And it hasn't been the same since. Mm. The problem is, though, the result of all, those, all that power coming in means that you, there are no longer spaces for the people that still do want to reject major corporations, you know, multinational companies. That, that's exactly what platforms and streaming have, have um, done the most harm in, is, you know. They want the alternative to exist on the same platform alongside what it's supposed to be an alternative to, which doesn't make any sense. It's worrisome. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we finally did this. This was really cool. No, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't talk about critical theory or anything like that <laughs> on a podcast yet. So, well, but I think that you you're like actually living the theory. Maybe, yeah. But thanks very much for hanging out with us for a little bit. Yeah. Pop the question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Cantoric, with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Moranz-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about?